My name's Tyler, one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, good to be with you all this morning, especially if, if you're newer, would encourage you, like Carly said, to um, fill out one of the connection cards. You can do that. There's one around you or there should have been a QR code. Um, would love to get you connected. There's a lot of things you can tick off on that connection card. You can join a community group. You can talk with church leadership. Um, you can ask for prayer. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can do a bunch of things. So please fill it out and we'll be in touch with you. Um, uh, fun fact, uh, a few weeks ago I got up on stage and talked about um, our church softball team. Any church softball team players in the room? Woo-hoo! Me, Brad, Zach, yep, three of us. Um, and I talked about how, if you don't know, COA has four churches um, and two softball teams. So two, te- two churches team up together and two churches team up together. And we play each other once a year and we call it the COA Classic. Um, for each team, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, maybe even more bragging rights than, than winning the league, right? Because you get to tell the other COA churches, like, we're better. Um, and so a few weeks ago, I stood up on stage, and I was like, this is going to be a good time because we're really good, and they're not. And I want you to know Proverbs 29 says, only a fool speaks too soon. We lost by one run. It was painful. I'm not over it. But it was painful. Again, I don't know where that goes. Just, you know, <laughs> weep with those who weep, you know, kind of thing. Anyways. So last week, I kicked off um, a new series called Life Together. Uh, anyone here last week? Most of you here last week? Yeah, uh, Jeff Johnson, one of our elders, um, came and preached for us. He did a great job. He kicked off the series. Um, and he just kind of preached on this idea that uh, we Christians were called to be in community together. Just kind of that broad idea that if you're here and you're a Christian, you're called to be in community. Um, and community, if you come week in, week out, you hear about it as one of our core values, um, gospel community mission. Um, it's not a core value just because it's like a big deal to church leadership, but because it's an enormous theme in the Bible. Right? You flip through the scriptures and you see, um, you don't see the people of God living in some kind of abstract like way. Right? You see um, various people in various ways in various places living out their faith together in a real, tangible way. And so this core value is not just theory, right? It's not just a theological concept. It's supposed to look a certain way. It's supposed to have certain components and certain pieces to it. It's supposed to have um, these kind of concrete pillars about what the Bible says about living in community. And so that's what this series, Life Together, is all about. How do we, the people of God, living in a particular city, going to a particular church, how do we live out our faith together? How do we live in community together? Obviously, this is something that could go on for much longer than three weeks, Um, But we're just going to take time last week, this week, and the next week to focus on three kind of key things, right? First week, again, Jeff preached on the general concept that we're called to be in community together. And that's a lot more than just like coming here for two hours on a Sunday, right? It's actually doing life together, right? It's uh, extending kindness and love and time to the people around you. It's um, realizing that if you're here and you're a Christian, you're part of God's people and you're part of something much bigger than yourself, It's entering into the beauty and the pain that is relationships. Relationships that are attempting to love God and love other people. So that's week one. Week two, this week, we're going to get really practical. We're going to talk about what it means to center our lives on other people. And finally, Pastor Mike, week three, is going to talk about kind of tough discipleship, like awkward, kind of tough love conversations and reconciliation. Uh, I should say, too, you'll notice this sermon series, it's a little more topical. Um, we, We believe at COA that, like, the best way to, to preach it, uh, week in and week out is to go through books of the Bible. And so 99, 95, 90% of the time, that's what it looks like at COA. But we also think that sometimes it's good and right to come to the Bible with questions and topics and say, what do you, 
have to say about this, Lord, through your word. And so um, that's what we're doing with this series. And all that to say, I do have one small passage I want to read for us, and it kind of captures um, the one idea that we're going to really hone in on uh, today. Um, we'll, we'll read it, and we'll take that idea, and we'll jump around a little bit. Um, and it's going to be Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. I'll read this quickly. It should be up on the screen as well. After I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. You would respond by saying, thanks be to God. Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. So as we dive in, I want to start with one question. One kind of like fun experiment of sorts. Um, I'm genuinely curious how people in the room spend their time after church. So uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of lay out three categories, three buckets, if you will, and there's nothing positive or negative about any of these. Um, I just think they're three kind of big enough buckets that captures most people in the room. So I'm going to tell you the buckets, and then I'm going to go through them again and ask you to raise your hand if, if you fit into that bucket. So bucket one, Sunday is a day of lingering for you. Right, you, you come to church, you stay a little bit after, hang out, talk to people. Maybe you, you, you go to lunch with some folks from church. After that, maybe you go to a park. You go to someone's place to chill. There's just kind of no agenda. Um, there's also no kind of end time in sight. Some of you are like, yes. Some of you are like, that stresses me the heck out. But that's bucket one. Sunday is a day of lingering for you. Bucket two is, is you typically go kind of straight home. Right, you, you pick up your kids, you say goodbye to some friends, um, and you go home to relax, refresh, maybe think on the sermon, um, and just kind of get ready for the week, right? That's, that's, that's bucket two. Like, you need the downtime to kind of mentally prepare yourself for the week. Bucket three is, is your life is like a million miles an hour, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean you got a lot to do, right? So maybe you leave quickly, but you're, you're leaving to run errands, right? Or uh, you're leaving to get the kids to their soccer games, or uh, maybe it's like a nice day, or every Sunday you just go somewhere and do something cool, like it's supposed to be beautiful out. Maybe you go to Castle Island or the beach or, 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 or whatever. You, you, you just have things that you're doing after church. And again, you might be tempted to hear these as positive or negative. I'm just making three big buckets. They're not positive or negative. So um, I want to see which, which buckets we all fit into. So if you're bucket one, Sunday is a day of lingering, raise your hand. Okay? Bucket two, you have to go kind of get ready for the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, bucket three, you have errands, things to do. Wow. Okay, I am, that is very split, actually. Very split. So there's a good amount of diversity in the room just over what are we doing after church? What is our preference after church? Right, and you can extend that to more than three buckets. More than three buckets exist for after church things. And you can multiply that over and over for each preferential thing in life. Right, so a good question then, in light of this sermon series, in light of the amount of diversity and that preference and that choice in the room is, how in the world are we supposed to be in community together? In like deep, meaningful, intimate community together. How are we supposed to live our lives together? Right? Beyond just showing up on a Sunday, how are we supposed to do the Christian life together? When, uh, like we just saw, with the way I structure my life and the way you structure your life, the way 
I spend my time, the way you spend your time, are just like complete 180s. How can we be expected to do life together in a meaningful way that isn't just kind of small talk and chit-chat? And here's the answer to this question. It's more obvious than you think, yet it eludes us so often. How can we do the Christian life together in a meaningful and intimate way? The answer is by having our lives centered on God. Because a life rightly centered on God is a life centered on others. And so that's our main point for today. That's kind of what we're going to unpack, what we're going to unfold. A life rightly centered on God is a life centered on others. Now, that kind of statement comes with, like, a lot of nuance, which probably means it's not, like, a great main point. Like, maybe I should have thought about that a little longer, but a lot of nuance with that statement. One, I'm not calling other people God. Be clear. Right? I hope you knew that from the get-go. Number two, um, that doesn't mean that if your life is centered on others that you necessarily also then have a life centered on God. But rather, when your life is rightly centered on God, because of what that looks like and what that entails, that means it's also centered on others. The Bible does not let us separate the two. Like if you came up to me and you said, yeah, like I've dedicated my life to God, I've been walking with the Lord, and and God is the center of my life, but you're not plugged into community. You're not serving and loving others. I'm not saying you aren't saved. I'm not saying you don't have a genuine relationship with God. What I am saying is you're missing a key ingredient. A key ingredient that causes the whole thing not to work properly. And so to be very blunt, for some of us in the room, that means if you've been coming here for months and you call this church your home, but you aren't plugged into a community group, it's not just that you're missing out on some extra fun or some extra relationships You're missing out on something that God deeply desires you to have. You're missing out on something that I would argue the Bible demands that we have. And so as I say that, it's not meant to like guilt you if you've been coming and haven't plugged into a CG. It's not go into a CG and feel guilty. No, it's go into a CG and live life with other people who believe the things that you do. Who, yes, are different and have different preferences, but are living out their faith. It's not, oh, you got to go to CG. No, it's, oh, I want you to have the most amount of joy you can possibly have as you walk with the Lord and other people. And I truly believe that happens in community. Because a life rightly centered on God is a life centered on others. So as you explore this idea, our our very brief kind of easy roadmap for today, um, we're basically going to go from like theology to practice, right? The fancy way to say that would be from orthodoxy to orthopraxy. Essentially, in other words, what it, means to, what it means to truly have a life centered on God and others, and then what does it look like? What does it mean? What does it look like? Theology to practice. So first, what does it mean to have a life centered on God? We won't spend too long on this one. Let me first define what I mean when I say centered on God, because it's not necessarily one-to-one. All right, just like you might say, um, not in a geographic sense, but in terms of like a buzz of activity sense, like the public garden or government center is kind of the center of Boston, the heart of Boston. Or you could say that's the center of Boston. There's a lot of things going on around there. There's tons of activity um, all throughout the year. That's the center of Boston. But there are a billion other things going on in the city that aren't impacted at all by the things that are happening down there. Right? In the same way, God can be the center of your life, but not reach everything and impact everything. So actually, a more helpful way to think about this is to picture God as the gravitational center of your life. Why? Because when something's the gravitational center, everything else 
revolves around it. Everything else is deeply impacted by it. Everything is directed and guided and ultimately defined by this gravitational center. That's what I mean when we say God is the center of your life. It's not just that he's the most important thing. And it's not just that God and the things of God are where you spend most of your time. It's that he's the gravitational center that guides, directs, pulls, defines, and holds everything together. In other words, God isn't meant to be in a box. Like you aren't supposed to have a a religious corner in your life. Right? You shouldn't be acknowledged in only certain areas of your life. Right? What does the proverb say? In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You want to know what the Hebrew word for all means there? All. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And so when God is the gravitational center of your life, everything revolves and orbits and is impacted and exists by him and because of him and for him. And when you live your life with God as your gravitational center, it's inseparable from a life with others there too. Remember our our verse from Galatians that I read? Uh, It says we were called to freedom. And what Paul, he wrote Galatians, what what he means when he says that as we are no longer under some sort of oppressive weight, but rather in Christ Jesus, because of the right relationship we now have with God, we can serve each other. We can serve each other in the way that God intends us to. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use it for yourself. But through love, serve one another. In other words, you were saved to serve. You were given life to serve others. To be with others. To love others. To walk alongside others. And when you consider the life of Jesus, you see a perfect example of this. Right, of a selfless life, of a selfless man who, who knew his mission and he stated it like this, talking about himself, he says, the son of man came not to be served. He's talking about himself. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And if a man, if God in the flesh as perfect and incredible and as beautiful and as worthy of all glory, and in fact, as uh, worthy of being served, he himself says, I came to serve you. If that's what Jesus' life is about, then we ought to be the same. He knew his life was centered on the good of other people. His life was wholly oriented around other people. But he also knew it could only rightly be this way because his life was also wholly oriented around God. And again, if this is true about Jesus... If this is true about our Savior, if this is true about God in the flesh, that, mean, that means other people ought to be our gravitational centers too. It's quite simple. If we want to look and be like Jesus, let's look and be like Jesus. Other people were at the center of his life. Now, that doesn't mean that you exhaust yourself to the point where you burn out and leave the church. Like, there are a lot of caveats and healthy boundaries to be set here. That doesn't mean you give other people whatever they want, whenever they want it. And this is where we start to transition into practice, right? So that was kind of like really light theology. Light theology, what does it mean to have a a, a life 
centered on God and centered on others. And now we ask the question, well, what does that even look like? Others being the gravitational center of your life? It can look like different things, but there's one common theme I think we see in the scriptures, and it's done rightly, that I want to hit on. What it looks like to have others as the gravitational center of your life is to completely lay down your preferences for their good. Again, there are healthy boundaries to be set here. We just had a seminar on burnout. Talked a lot about those. But what I mean is that we should have a disposition of being ready and willing to lay down our preferences for the good of other people, out of love for the other people, out of a desire to serve other people. And if I can be honest, what I'm afraid of and what I observe at times in our church is not many people doing that. There's something to do. But not many people are ready and willing to lay down their preferences for the good of other people. And here's what I mean by that. When you meet someone that has 100 different buckets than you, like you don't have one bucket in common. Out of the 300 buckets you have in your life, not even one in common. Whether it's what they do after the church, what they do in their free time, or what they care about, or their hobbies, or their sports teams, we look at those scenarios and say, well, we just don't vibe. We haven't clicked. We, we, don't, we don't mesh. If I can be honest, there's nothing that saddens me more than that. I've had these conversations. You, many of you have probably had these conversations. And can I call all of us out for just a second, myself included? That's a very selfish mindset. And more than that, think about this deeply, more than that, in those moments, you, have, you functionally have a very small view of God. Because the commonality, the common identity of Jesus is stronger than any differences we have. Any of them. Doesn't mean we're supposed to be best buds with everyone. It's not what I'm saying. Ephesians 2 says, In Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We look at passages like this, and we also consider passages like Acts 2, where we see the early church have this like amazing, beautiful picture of community, and we want that, and we envy that, and we say that's great. But you want to know why the early church had great success in their core value of community? It's not because they did the same thing after church or wanted to do the same thing after church. It's not because they were fans of the same sports team or because they liked the same kind of beer or because even they lived in like the exact same neighborhood and, and woke up at the exact same time or because they were all on the same life stage. You know what it was? Their common belief that Jesus is Lord. That's why they had success. There's no difference between them and us in the room now who claim to be Christian. The early church had success because they realized their ultimate common identity was Jesus. That's far more powerful than a preference. Like, can you imagine Jesus saying to anyone who is genuinely attempting to follow him, like, bro, I don't, I don't you do you, I'm gonna do me. Like, peace out, I don't, we don't quite get along. No. 
when someone comes up to me and says that, like that I don't vibe or things haven't clicked or let me get everyone in the room right now. When someone comes up and says, I don't click very well with my community group. In light of what we're talking about, I'm tempted to ask, well, have you tried serving them lately? Have you tried laying down your preferences lately? Or are you coming to community group or are you entering into that relationship expecting them to conform to you entirely and your preferences and your desires and what you want to get out of it? Or have you also tried to serve them, not just in the way you want to serve them, but in the way that you know they would want to be served? I remember distinctly, I think I, I, I maybe have shared this story in the past, but a, a CG years and years and years ago, we were a pretty tight-knit group. Like it was, it was one of the groups that's, for reasons, the opposite of what I'm preaching right now, but we were in the same life stage and we got along really well. We did a lot of similar things, but there was this one person who just didn't vibe, didn't click, didn't mesh. And so I remember just having conversations with people like, what are we how do we come alongside this person? And I remember they would invite us to do things like, and maybe this is your jam, um, invite us to do things like, come and sit in my apartment, we're gonna silently read books together. Is that your thing or is that not your thing? Okay, yeah. But anyways, I remember she sends out this invitation and like, I'm still immature, but I was much more immature back then, but I was like, what do you, what? I don't think anyone here wants to go do that. But we weren't thinking about it rightly. We weren't trying to welcome her in. We weren't thinking about how we might try to lay down our preferences for her sake. And no one really went. This person, she eventually felt like an outcast of the church. We should have done it. Even if it wasn't my preference. Even if I didn't want to go read a book, should have done it. I remember a few years ago, another example of this, um, my wife and I, we were like really challenged in this area and, and we didn't do it perfectly and we don't continue to do it perfectly. I'm not trying to prop anything we did up. But we made this intentional decision and this was before we had our kid. Um, we made the, this intentional decision like, hey, like after church, I really love going to Trader Joe's, doing my shopping, getting my lunch to go, going home, throwing on a football game and like sitting on the couch. But we had this realization, when we always do that, it costs other people. And it costs the kind of diverse, multicultural relationships that we wanted to have, that this church wants to be all about. So we made the, this intentional decision, like, hey, like we, when the opportunity arises, we're going to be ready to extend our day. To go to lunch with friends, and then go to someone's place just to hang out with, with no agenda. And we did that. We did that many times, and, and even now, we still try to do that, even though we have a kid whose nap time is a wonderful 12 p.m. Because it is a small way we can lay, or love other people and lay down our preferences and build intimate relationships across preferences, across cultural norms, across people that maybe we normally wouldn't hang out with. And again, we didn't do this perfectly, but you know what happens when you do that enough? Your preferences change. And as you get closer to others, if they're in the right mindset too, they too will begin to lay down their preferences for you. 
When I say lay down my preferences, I don't mean like I don't want to not do those things. Like fall's coming up, you best bet. Like I'm really excited for some football and some couch time and like two Oktoberfests on a Sunday. Like I'm all about that jam. Like I'm not saying the desire to do that changes, but I mean that our, our preferences change and we started counting others as greater than ourselves. I mean that the spirit of God moves supernaturally in and through our hearts to grow our care and compassion for other people and to, quite frankly, to stop being so selfish. To stop being so selfish with our time. In case you think maybe that's good for you to do, but I don't have to do it, Philippians 2 would disagree with you. Paul says this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Genuine question, how much of your life is reflected by something like that? How much is the way you spend your time, the way you structure your life? How often are you considering the interests, interests of others? Notice it doesn't say not to consider the interests of yourself. God has given you those interests, those passions, even those preferences. But consider the interests of others. What I'm saying is that your default posture should be to lay down your preferences for others. Lay down your preference for the way you want to spend your time. Lay down your preference for the way you want to structure your life. Others have to be the gravitational center of your life. Probably talked about some fall events we have coming up. We have this very thing in mind. This very idea that, that gives everyone in the room the opportunity to put others as the gravitational center of their life. Apple picking, September 16th, worship night, September 29th on a Friday, a brewery get-together, October 8th, network retreat, October 20th. As I read that, I thought this too. You might be tempted to think one of those sounds good to you. One of those sounds right up your alley. So I'll go to that one. But friends, that's not laying down your preferences for the sake of others. Like what if going to some church event wasn't just for you? And wasn't just for your enjoyment? It wasn't just so you could have some fun. But what if it's so you can be hospitable and welcoming to the new folks that moved here? That don't have the community that you have. That are looking for the type of community that you're in. Maybe some of them don't know God, but they stumbled here on a Sunday. So you can come alongside people who have different preferences than you. Again, what I'm not trying to do is guilt you into coming to every event. It's not the ask. But there's a big difference between not being around people and not going because you need rest and you have healthy boundaries versus not going and not being around people because they just aren't your vibe. We're just doing something that doesn't mesh well with your passions and your interests or your preference. Big difference. 
I want to make that loud and clear. I'm not advocating for the non-existence of any boundaries. That's the opposite of what I'm saying. Don't go to everything just to make sure you can go to everything and check every box. In fact, for, for many of you in this room, the best thing that you could probably do for your health and the health of your family is maybe not to go to some of those, right? But if you're not going to things like this, because it's not your vibe, it's not your preference, and it has nothing to do with burnout, nothing to do uh, with just needing some rest and refreshment, but rather it's just not what you want to do, and it's not the kind of people or the people with the preferences that, that go to those things that you want to interact with, there's, there's a problem there. The idea of, of middle ground comes up maybe when we talk about these kind of things. Or you may be tempted to say that people with different preferences, they should, they should meet in the middle somewhere. Let's find the middle ground, right? I would argue when it comes to these kind of things, most of the time, not every time, there is no middle ground. There's no meaningful middle ground. And I say that for two reasons. One, when we say we want the middle ground, what we're saying is I want to find a way I can serve you the least. I want to find the way that costs us the least. And two, because quite simply, true love demands you defer to the other person. Usually when we want the middle ground, we want the cheapest form of sacrifice possible. Isn't true with all things, but it's true with many things. Let me give you a tangible example. Ashlyn, my wife, and I, again, are, are, we're on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of spending money. Like, can you guess who's who? <laughs> it's like every other sermon I open up with, I was downtown spending money, drinking coffee, and hanging out, you know? For us, in that area specifically, to be honest, there's not really a middle ground per se. Again, I'm not painting every picture like this. But for us, what it actually looks like to serve the other person is to lay down our preferences for the good of the other person and do that back and forth. What it means is that sometimes, even though I want to go buy lunch, even though we have the money, even though I think we should allocate more money to our dining out budget. Sorry. Out of love and compassion for her, I'm not going to go buy the steak bomb with lettuce, mayo, ketchup, jalapenos, and a toasted bun from uh, Pizza Stop. And for her, that means even though maybe we spent more than we should in a way that's healthy and has, still has healthy boundaries and is not encouraging sinful stewardship of money, okay, you can, you can go get the steak bomb. <laughs> Make it a large. That's what it looks like to lay down preferences and to serve and love one another. It goes far beyond marriage, but that goes to CGs. How many of you in this room are in a CG and it doesn't quite function the way you want? The facilitation or the teaching is not in your preferred style. Maybe you don't want dinner or you do want dinner. Maybe you want to hang out later rather than kind of ending right on the dot. What does it look like for you to lay down your preferences for other people? We start to close. 
you might hear this and say it's, it's a stalemate, right? If everyone just lays down their preferences, who's going to get what they want? But there needs to be an intentional altering cycle of sorts. It needs to be you serve others and then you let others serve you. And of course, this gets really messy. Notice I didn't talk a lot about boundaries. I added a lot of caveats, consider the boundaries, consider the boundaries, but I didn't even say, like, what does that even mean? It gets really messy. People hurt people. People serve others too much and don't get anything back, and they burn themselves out. Partially why next week, Pastor Mike, he's going to talk about reconciliation and kind of tough discipleship, tough conversations. And so the penultimate answer to what does it look like to be in community, to do life with people that are vastly different than you, it is to totally, completely sacrifice your preferences, your desires, the way you structure your life, all of that while having a life centered on God. It's not pursuit of the middle ground. It's pursuit of serving one another. A life rightly centered on God is a life centered on others. Again, this is what we see in Jesus. This is what we see in the cross. When we take communion each week, we remember these things, that Jesus had a life rightly centered on God. And because of that, he also had a life centered on others. When he was on the cross, his life was centered on God and others. You'll notice kind of, if you're familiar with the crucifixion narrative, like the days leading up, there are like multiple moments where it almost seems like Jesus could kind of step out if he wanted to. One verse that comes to mind that uh, that says like, uh, you know, if you truly are the son of man, command the father to send these angels and just get down from the cross, right? Like, The thing is, he can do that. He even says, don't you think I have the power to call a bunch of angels in and just kind of halt what's happening? But his life is wholly oriented on God and his life is wholly oriented on others. And so as we take communion, we remember his sacrifice. Now for God and for others, he broke his body. Now for God and for others, he shed his blood so that you could be in right relationship with God by trusting and believing in him. And that out of that, you go and you serve others. You're saved to serve. You go and lay down your preferences. That's what Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in you, Jesus, we have this example of a life rightly oriented, centered on you, God, and therefore centered on others. Help us to do the same thing. Help us to serve each other. Help us to lay down our preferences for each other. Amen.